first of all, Jeff, thank you so much for all those kind words. It truly has been uh, an amazing journey these last five years. Um, I've definitely grown uh, in ways I would have never imagined just from the opportunities that I've had uh, with this church and everything. Um, so thank you for, for all of that and allowing me to to pour into your kids knowing who I am and, and risking them with me. Um, but no, yeah, it's been great. It really has been great. Seriously, if, if you guys are wanting to, to grow in your faith, probably one of the best things you could do is get into a ministry. I've changed in so many ways. Uh, you will be challenged and changed in amazing ways as well if you start to pour out into others. It's a, it's a great, great thing. Um, but if you'd like to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, I'm going to be reading a pretty hefty, large uh, passage today. Uh, I'm going to read all the way through it, and then uh, we'll go back and break, down, break it down verse by verse. So uh, yeah, I'm going to start reading through that and uh, follow along if you like. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 17, says, For the cross... Uh, wow. Starting out strong. <laughs> For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many of you were powerful, not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. God, thank you so much for this day and this opportunity to join together and, and worship you and, and just come and be near to you. God, I just pray that you will speak to this morning, that it not be my words, but it be yours. God, that we would have open ears and open hearts to receive your word with fullness of understanding 
and faith. God, I pray that you would change, that you would convict and challenge each of us in this room. Uh, Lord, that we would go away from this room uh, not the same that we came in, but that we would be drawn near to you, to your love, to your faithfulness, to your glory. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that was a big chunk of scripture. Um, so I wanted to share uh, some experiences that I had uh, while I was in Iraq and, and just a lot of the things that I was going through and uh, just things that I learned while I was there. And I had made several new friends while I was there. And these are people that I haven't really inter- ever interacted with before, so they were all brand new to me. But they, they were uh, not Christians, and they were actually very adamantly against Christianity, adamantly against any form of faith, really, uh, whether it was Christianity or any other religion or even science. It's just like, why would you put your any, why would you believe in any one thing? Like, how do you know that you're right? Why would you believe it? And, and why, why would you put your whole faith into it if you can't really believe? Like, even science, like, they, they, they couldn't uh, fully uh, follow that. And uh, I remember it was very hard for me because I was, I was very open about my faith and open about who I am and everything. And uh, we would have these conversations and we would get into debates and I'd try and convince them with uh, different apologetics, which is basically like reasonings or evidence to try and understand, uh, give proof uh, and explanation to why I believe what I believe and why they should also believe it. Uh, but trying to just give all this evidence and give all this proof and give uh, this logical reasoning to why I believe that Jesus Christ is God and everything. And I just remember just getting into debate after debate and argument after argument and never going anywhere. And uh, I remember praying one night and sitting, I'm sitting in my room and I'm praying about my friends. And I remember this, this verse popping into my head. It was verse 18. Uh, which says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And I remember reading that, or not, not reading it, I remember remembering that, and I didn't actually know what verse it was, I had to Google it later. Uh, but not being comforted by that in any way. I remember reading that, and I'm like, what? no, no, that's not good. Like, these are my friends, I care about them, I want them to have life, I want them to have faith, I want them to believe, but, but this is the way they're treating it. They treat the, uh, Christianity as foolishness, they treat it as just like, why the heck would you fall into that faith? They call it a cult, <laughs> they call any religion a cult. Um, they just didn't, didn't they, they thought it was all totally foolishness. And, and that, that, that hurt me, especially as, as I was reading this, because like I just said, like, uh, the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And it's like, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that for my friends. I, I care very, very much about them. And um, just being, being challenged in that and, and just being, uh, not, not really knowing what to think about that. And this was probably months before I, I read the, the rest of the chapter that, that I feel like brings so much light to it. So a lot of this is going to be about evangelism, 
but evangelism towards people that you interact with every day, people at work or in family or in friends or something like that, right? So, so how do we evangelize to those people that we, we interact with every day without offending, without getting into arguments, without getting into just all these different um, rabbit trails that lead to nothing? Um, so continuing on, verse 18, 19. I'll go back to 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. So the world, it explains here that the world is always asking for proof. It's always asking for evidence. It's always asking for, for wisdom and just like, how, do you, how can you explain it? Like, how can you prove to me that this is, this is true? And so I would go, I would have these conversations, I'd be trying to prove it, and it, just, it would never go anywhere. It'd just go into rabbit trail, into random conversation, into meaningless uh, rhetoric and just let, never led anywhere. Um, but then, uh, in reading this, like the what it's explaining is that the world, the, the world is asking for for logic and evidence, but God doesn't reveal Himself in logic and evidence. And basically, what I mean by that is that you're never going to be able to convince somebody into faith. There, there's no amount of evidence that's going to be able to prove someone into believing and having faith. Now, you can, you can probably get someone to a point where they say, yeah, okay, I agree, there's a God. But there's a difference, I, believe, I think, between belief and faith. Uh, the way I like to explain it to myself is that belief or faith is the combination of belief and trust, right? So you, you can believe something, but it doesn't really do anything to you. It doesn't, it doesn't help in any way. I believe that organic food is a lot better for me and I should eat organic food, but I don't usually eat organic food. I just eat <laughs> Habit Burger or In-N-Out because it's much quicker and easier, right? And so I, I, don't, I don't put my trust in that, that I need to be eating that organic food in order to be healthier and, and living. And so we can believe that God is real, but until we trust God with our entire life, is it, we've, we've moved from belief to faith. You know? And once we trust God, we, we follow him, and we've given up our desire to control everything in our life and just say, God, here, take me, I'm yours. I'm going to follow you. Um, so we, we're not going to be able to convince anybody into faith with all of our grand apologetics or all of our wisdom or all of our proof and all of our evidence. It's, it's never going to work that way. God doesn't reveal himself in that way. Uh, and then verse 22 uh, says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. It's, it's exactly the same today, right? Jews demand, we, everyone who doesn't believe, they, they ask for all these signs. They ask for wisdom and evidence. Uh, I remember having a conversation with uh, a friend, and ha- he, we, were, we were in this conversation, and we were talking about faith, and, and he was saying that, like, in this day and age, in the world that we live in now, like, that's, 
that's how you, you get someone to believe. It's like you have to have that evidence, you have to have that proof, and you have to have that, that, all of that, right? Um, and I responded with, like, I agree in a way, but not really. Like, I, one, I don't believe that you're going to be able to convince anyone, but most importantly, like, all that faith and all that proof or all that evidence and all that proof, it's already here. And if we haven't seen it, it's because either we're choosing to close a blind eye to it or we're not looking hard enough. All the proof that, that shows the reality of Jesus Christ, and his death and his resurrection, it's already out there. It's in here, and it's just up to us to finally put our faith in that and say, yeah, it's true. You're right. I believe it, and I'm going to follow that. Uh, I remember having another conversation at dinner with a couple friends, and they, were, they said they said two things, these two things in the, same, in the same conversation. One said, like, one of the guys said, uh, if someone were to come back from the dead, then, yeah, maybe if he were to say, yep, Christianity, that's true, I was in heaven, I saw God, uh, you have to believe this so that you can get the same thing, then, then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll believe that. And after he said that, I was, complete, I was reminded of another passage. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Keep a, keep a finger in 1 Corinthians because we're going to be going back there several times. If you don't know me, I am not the best speaker, so I kind of just use scripture to speak it for me. I, so I read a lot and I speak very little. Uh, so you're going to be flipping around a lot if you got a Bible. So get ready. Um, so I'm not going to read this entire passage, but I'll give you the context. Basically, it, it's the parable that Jesus gave about the rich man and Lazarus. And it's not the Lazarus that was raised from the dead, it's a different Lazarus. Um, but so essentially there's this very rich man, had a lot of money, had a lot of power, and then the, there's Lazarus, who's a very poor man, who uh, sat at the, the entrance gate to this rich man's house. And uh, it says that he, he longed to be fed with the food that fell from the rich man's table. Uh, and it said even more so that, that he had like no no one to take care of him, no medical coverage whatsoever. The, the closest thing to any form of medical care that he had was the dogs would come and lick his wounds for him. So the parable goes on, and both of these people die, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus goes up to be with Abraham at Abraham's side, and then the rich man goes down into Hades. And it says that the rich man looks up and he could see Abraham and Lazarus far off. And he calls out to Abraham and he, he begs Abraham, God, uh, send, Abraham, send Lazarus down to dip his finger in some water and put it on my tongue because I'm in anguish from this flame. And Abraham's response says, I can't do that. There's a great chasm that's been fixed between here and there so that no one could go from here to there and you can't go from here there to here. And then so... The rich man responds with, then, uh, then please, Abraham, send Lazarus to my family to tell them and convince them that, that, uh, of this place so that they don't meet this same fate that I have. Kind of noble, right? He wants his family to be taken care of. Uh, so this is picking back up. This is uh, verse 27 now. We'll pick up from there. He says, he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, 
But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so it's the same today, right? Why would anyone be convinced if, if someone rose from the dead if the scriptures, it's, it's, it's all pointed out right there. We, uh, it, it even says it right there. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets, that's, that's the Bible, right? They have the Bible. If they're not going to be convinced from the Bible, they're not going to be convinced from a dead man. Uh, and then I had another friend in the same conversation asked, like, why doesn't God just come down to earth and be like, hey, here's, here, I'm God. Like, follow me, believe me. It's like, hasn't that happened already? God did come down in the form of Jesus Christ. He said, here I am. I'm God. Look at all these signs and wonders and miracles and healings. Look at everything that I'm doing. I'm God. Follow me and have eternal life. And what did we do? We killed him for it. Why would, we be, why would it be any different today? Right? All, he showed them signs. He so, showed them miracles. He showed them wonders. And we killed him for it. It wouldn't be any different. We wouldn't be convinced. We would not believe if even God in the flesh came down to and show, told, told us all that he's God. Um, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, picking back up in 23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I remember uh, sitting in a Bible study one time uh, that I was leading. At, it's called, we called it Jesus Coffee. It was at 5.30 in the morning on Monday mornings, like way too early for myself or any teenager to be up talking about Jesus. But uh, I remember, I don't remember anything else about this, this one Bible study, but I remember reading this one verse and Isaiah being mad. He was like, I don't, I don't like that verse. It makes, God sound like he's, it makes God sound foolish or it makes God sound weak, but he's not foolish and he's not weak, so like, why, why is it in the Bible? And I, and I remember not having an answer for him. I was like, I don't know. But I think finally... I have an answer, and that's, that's a, it's not talking about saying that God is foolishness, but it's talking about that the, the way the world sees the, God, the way that God works, the, the world sees that as foolishness, and the, way, and the world sees God and the cross as weakness, and it's saying that, that God uses the foolishness, or God's foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What we see, what the world sees as weakness and foolishness is what God uses to show his power and his strength and his wisdom. The world sees the cross, Jesus Christ, as foolish and weak. Uh, and, and this is my first main point, and I said it already a couple of times, but that God uses what is foolish to the world to show his wisdom, and God uses what is weak to the world to show his strength. You see, it's not going to be by any evidence or any grand apologetics or any proof, amount of proof that's ever going to be able to convince those that are around us into faith. It's only the cross. The cross is all we need. That's God's wisdom, and that's God's strength. 
And if we try to add more to it, like it says in verse seven, back in 17, uh, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If we try to add more to the scripture, more to the cross, instead of just holding, standing firm in that, we empty the cross of its power. Uh, The cross is love, right? And if you don't believe me, what's the most popular verse in the Bible? Even if this is your very first day ever in church, you've probably heard this one verse. Someone shout it out. John 3.16, right? Let's take a look at it real quick. If I could get there in time. I'm having a hard time. All right, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Also in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded. God says that there is no greater love than this, to lay down your life for your friends, and he calls all of us his friends. I'll give one more proof to the fact that cross, the cross is love. Uh, if you'll turn with me to First John chapter 4. Uh, this is the, the classic God is love passage. First uh, John chapter four, starting at verse seven, it says, "Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love." Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I love that last verse because I feel like it speaks so much. No one has ever seen God, right? No one's going to see God. You can't, you can't, the, the, the only way that we say see God, it says, that, it says that the only way we show God is that verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in this. So how do we show God to the world? How do we prove his existence to the world? It's by our love for them. Uh, the cross is love. And it's the love of Jesus Christ that is going to convince them into faith. It's not any evidence that we can share or evidence, proof that we can give. It's the love that we show to them, that we interact, the people that we interact with every day. It's when we love them with all of our heart, selflessly, that we will show God to them. Um, I think... One of the greatest mistakes that the church, the Christian church has made 
is that when it comes to evangelism, is that when we demand morality rather than sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say that one more time because I think it's very important. Is that one of the, our greatest mistakes is that when we are trying to share Jesus Christ to the world, when we demand our morality rather than just showing them love. You know, you can't listen to that kind of music. That's devil worship music. You can't drink alcohol. That's sin. You can't marry that person. That's a sin, right? Whatever, name, name, your, what, name your sin. When we try and throw that in the face of the world, they're not going to want to have anything to do with us. I'm not trying to condone sin by any means. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that we have to show them love first. We have to draw them in, show them compassion. You don't ever see Jesus com- concerned about morality when he's going to the lost and to the broken. He comes to them, he shows them compassion, he shows them love. Once they have uh, accepted that love and realized it and come to faith and come to follow him, that's when he will convict of their sin. It's not our job to, to convict and condemn of a person's sin. That's God's job. Our job is to show them love in our, the best way that we can and just show them the love that Christ has for them. That's how it all works. It's not based on our morality. Uh, when, I, uh, when I got to, I, I actually got to share this the same uh, sermon um, when I was in Iraq. And I remember preparing for this sermon and, and it really helped me actually a lot because I was still struggling with all these thoughts that I was having and these, these concerns for my friends. And it was, it was in preparing for this message that I was able to fully understand what it all meant. Uh, but I remember like the, in the week that I was preparing for the message, uh, just in my own personal daily reading, I ran through this passage. It's in Second uh, Timothy chapter two. If you'd like to turn there, and I feel like it, it kind of uh, sums up everything that I was just talking about in like four or five short verses. But Second Timothy chapter two, starting at verse twenty-two, it says, "So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord." From a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And I think this says something very, very important for, for each of us who, who may be concerned with, with friends or family or loved one that you see that don't have the faith, but you're, you're very concerned out of love, obviously, for them, and you want them to believe. And, and I think it's, it's this is that it's not up to us. It's not up to us to convince anybody. We're, we can't, we don't, straight, straight, mm. quite honestly, 
We don't have that ability to convince anybody to believe. It's God who convinces to believe. Uh, and I think it explains it best in that verse 20, 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It's God. It's God who will grant repentance. It's God who will convince. It's not up to us. It's not in our ability. All we have to, all, our responsibility is the, all the verses before that, is that we need to love. We need to not be quarrelsome. We need to be able to teach patiently enduring evil, uh, avoiding foolish, ignorant controversies. I think that was my biggest mistake is I kept on getting into these, these random, stupid, ignorant arguments about nothing that led nowhere, that just were a waste of time and conversation and breath instead of just showing them love. Um, but yeah, it's not up to us. It's up to God. Just continue to show love and God, may, God will be the one that convinces. Uh, turning, turn back to 1 Corinthians 1 with me. I'm going to be changing gears a little bit. Uh, going back 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to, this world, uh, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." So we see that through this, this, this scripture that God uses the lowly and the weak to show his power. So I don't care who you are in this room thinking like, oh, I can't do any, I can't share Jesus, I can't do anything like that. It's like, no, God uses us who are totally unqualified to show his, his glory and his power. Uh, I don't know who said this quote originally. I, I googled it and came up with like four or five different people who quote-unquote quoted this, this uh, said this, this quote, uh, all the way up to Toby Mac, but it says, uh, uh, it's, it's a quote, you might have heard it before, that uh, God doesn't qual- call the qualified, he qualifies the called, right? Uh, <clears throat> and we see examples of that all throughout scripture. I'm not going to read every single one, but I'd like to touch on a few uh, uh, back in Exodus chapter 4, we have Moses, and Moses is, is uh, talking to the burning bush, and God is calling him, and he's saying, all right, I'm going to send you into Egypt, you're going to set my people free, and uh, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to talk to the Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him all these things, and Moses is like arguing with God. He's like, uh, no, God, I, I don't think I could do that. Uh, You've got to send somebody else. Um, I'm just not very good at these things. Like, who am I, God? I, I just don't have any ability. And uh, my favorite part in Exodus chapter 4, he says, uh, God, I, I, I'm, I'm really slow at talking. I'm not a very uh, eloquent speaker. Uh, so I obviously can't go and, and, and talk to Pharaoh, and I can't lead your people out of uh, Egypt. So uh, you just got to send somebody else. And God's response is like, who made your mouth? 
Who makes people mute and who makes people speak? I do. I told you I'm going to be with you, so go. Go to Pharaoh. Go talk to him, and I'll be with you, and, and you'll see signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, I think I added that last part in there. But anyway, uh, and, so, and, and then uh, another example is uh, Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 6. Uh, he's a funny guy, but uh, in the call of Gideon, angel comes down and appears to Gideon. Gideon's hiding down in a cellar uh, from, from the uh, Philistines, and uh, the angel appears to him, and he says, Oh, mighty man of God. And Gideon's response is like, who, 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 not, not me, like, you, you, realize, you realize who you're talking to, right? Like, I'm, I'm, my tribe is the tribe of Benjamin, and, like, my tribe is the lowest of all of the tribe of Benjamin, or my clan is the lowest of all the tribe of Benjamin, and me, I'm, I'm the lowest in my clan. And so, like, basically he's saying, like, I'm this lowliest dude in all of Israel, and you're calling me a mighty man of God? Like, you must, you must be mistaken. But no, God, and then God uses him to lead an army to destroy millions, and, and it's all through, all through that faith that Gideon had. Uh, another favorite of mine is, is Peter, and uh, Peter's a character. Um, he's one of those guys that all throughout Scripture, uh, anytime he would say something, it'd be kind of one of those facepalm moments, just like, what, what are you talking about, Peter? Oh, man. And he's this, this uneducated guy, he's a young guy, he's a fisherman, has no education, and, and, uh, but he's following Jesus, and he, he trusts, and he believes, and he has faith with all his heart. Um, and then after, in Acts chapter 2, after uh, Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended, in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit comes down, and Peter then gives this totally amazing speech, sermon, whatever you want to call it, and thousands of people are converted in that night. He, he, he's, he, someone who can, anytime you, he speaks, you're just like, what the heck are you talking about, is now giving these amazing sermons that are convicting and challenging and transforming the lives of thousands in one, in one moment. And that's, that's the whole thing. That's the power of the Holy Spirit is that God is able to use us who are totally unqualified to do anything, yet he's able to take us and do amazing things through us. That's how he shows his power. He uses the weak and lowly of this world and uses them for great and amazing things, and he is glorified in that. Uh, I had a, a friend that I had made while I was in Iraq uh, her name was Airman J.C. Moss, and Airman Moss, J.C., she was probably one of the shyest people I've ever met in my life. I remember the first time trying to meet her, like, trying to, like, initiate conversation. Like, she wouldn't look at me. She, she would respond in, like, one-word responses and just, like, wouldn't talk at all and uh, all this stuff. But she ended up uh, joining the, the worship team at her chapel in Iraq, and um, I, I remember another time, I, she, she got there before I had, um, and we had our, our worship leader, uh, it was uh, Master Gunnery Sergeant Hank Rimkis, we called him Master Guns, um, but he, uh, he's, he's, a, 
He's one of those dudes, he's a Marine, and he has a lot of brass on his collar. He's one of those dudes that you want to try to avoid at all costs because he can rip you a new one if, uh, if you're doing anything wrong. But he was also one of the, the nicest dudes I've ever met. Um, and very, very smart, very wise guy. But So he led this, this Bible study on Wednesdays. And I remember he was telling the story of this first, the first time that JC had gone to this Bible study. And uh, I, I wasn't there yet. But he calls on her to... He asked her, asked a question. He calls on her to see her response, and without even looking up, she she just says, "Don't call on me. I don't want to talk. I don't want to say anything. I just want to sit here and I just want to listen. Don't talk to me." <laughs> and so he's like, "Okay, all right. How about you? What do you think?" <laughs> Kept on going on. But anyway, so this this girl was so so shy, and she continued to be very very shy. Um, but actually, the same, same day I got to share this message in Iraq, she also sang her, first, sang her first solo in the worship team. And it was amazing to see how much she would, she would step out of her, her shell and sing and, and praise Jesus. And then as soon as the worship was over, she would go back and sit back down and, and be shy again. It was, it was, it's hilarious. But it's, it just goes to show that God will use those, in, in whatever you feel like you're totally unqualified to do, God's going to use you to show his glory and show his, his power. Uh, great evidence in this, I think, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you'll turn with me real quick. I'm running out of time, so I'll try and go through this quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but, but Paul is giving this example of this, this uh, metaphorical thorn in his side that, that has been tormenting, tormenting him. Uh, he calls it a messenger from Satan sent to harass him. Uh, and three times that he pleaded with God that he would take this, this away. And uh, this was God's response. In Second uh, Corinthians twelve nine says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the, safe, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, and hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. So I don't want you to tell me, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't share the gospel. Oh, I can't sing up in church. Oh, I can't do whatever. I can't uh, lead in this ministry. I can't do, name your, name your fear, name your, your weakness. God uses us in our weaknesses to show his glory. And it's exactly what you think you're weak in is probably exactly what he's calling you to do. Uh, that, and that God is going to work in us whatever it is that we need to show him his glory. When we get to that place of faith, and when we get to that place of servanthood, when all we want to do is serve God, say, God, take my life. It's not mine. It's yours. Do with it whatever you want. God's going to take that, and he's going to use us in ways we never thought possible, and we are going to see his glories, His glory in ways that we can never imagine. First Corinthians, going back to First Corinthians, uh, 
last, uh, last little bit. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We don't need to know anything except for Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. We don't need to have a master's degree in theology. We don't need to have all this experience in music and degrees and training in music. We don't need to have all these speech classes to be able to speak. We don't need any of that. We don't need any formal training. All we need is to know Jesus and Christ crucified. Know Christ and Christ crucified. And in that, but you do need to know Christ and Christ crucified. That is very important. Uh, but with that, when we do know him, when we have that faith, he will take us and he will use us for great and amazing things for his glory and for his honor. All we have to do is have faith. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you so much for this day and your word and your love for us, God. Just pray that we would come close to you, draw near to you, God, that we would be transformed and that we would understand that it's not about us. It's not up to us either. To those who are around us, to those loved ones that we have that are far from you, it's not up to us to, to, fall, to convince them to believe. All we have to do is continue to show them faith. God, you are the one with all the power. You're the one with, that deserves all the glory and all the honor. Lord, we love you. Jesus' name.